she's going to read from Mark chapter 10, and then John's going to come and share with us. So. Okay, we're reading from Mark. It's 10, 46 to 52. It's an honour and a privilege to read God's word and to, to dwell on it and hear a great message from it and to encourage us, uplift us and to edify us as we join together and read his word. Jesus heals a blind beggar. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Thanks for that. Let's pray before I start. Father God, you're all powerful and I pray this morning you'd use the words I say to do powerful work in people's hearts to bring about your purposes and to expand your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to retell that story to you again to get it into your head a bit more. One day Jesus, his disciples, and a huge crowd were leaving the city of Jericho. And by the side of the road, there was a blind beggar called Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. When he heard that it was Jesus coming past, he started yelling out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And lots of people sternly rebuked him, shut up. But he yelled louder, son of David, have mercy on me. Then Jesus stopped. And he said, call him over. And they said, hey, dude, cheer up, get up. He's calling you. And the blind beggar threw off his coat. He leapt up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, my teacher, I want to see again. And Jesus said, go, because you've trusted in me, you are well. And instantly, he could see again. And he started to follow Jesus along the road. This is just a short story, but it's full of incredible themes. And we're going to go back through again and bring some things out. Jesus was heading to Jerusalem to die on the cross for the sins of the world. And we know from the Last Supper that he didn't want to do this. And none of us would want to do something like this. Even the Son of God 
did not want to go through this suffering. And the Bible says Jesus set his face like a stone towards Jerusalem. He had to just brace himself and just go and do it. And he had so much opposition and these annoying crowds because they wanted Jesus to be the kind of king that storms into Jerusalem on his horse, destroys the Romans and frees the Jews and sets himself on a throne and rules the people here on earth. That's what they were expecting and wanting. And you can see straight after this, they come in and it's uh, Palm Sunday. They put out the palms and they're all like, yay, the king's coming, Hosanna, yay. And then a few days later, they're calling, execute him, crucify him. So Jesus, the crowds for the most part in Jesus' ministry are a hindrance rather than a help. And in this setting, it's the same thing. So they come in, they're going through, and Jesus has a massive throng with him. It's, he's been doing his ministry for about three years now. Everything's building up. People want to see some action. Maybe some people are kind of see what's going to happen. Is he going to set up his kingdom here on earth? Is he going to conquer the Romans? Is he going to free the Jews? He's got so much opposition, so many annoying people around him trying to hinder him. In the story last week, we looked at the healing of the paralytic. The same thing. The people wouldn't let the paralytic through. And so Jesus is walking along, and by the side of the road, there's another person who has a lot of hindrances. It's blind Bartimaeus. Now, the name Bar means son of, Timaeus means honor. So his name actually means son of honor. And he is the only person who was healed, besides the resurrection stories, the only person in the Gospels who's healed whose name is mentioned. Sometimes the, 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 the um, person who's healed's parents' names are mentioned, but Bartimaeus is the only one whose name is mentioned. And some people say that's because he probably became a well-known figure in the early church. And so people remembered who this guy was. His name means son of honor, but as a blind beggar in the first century uh, Near East, he wouldn't have got much honor from people. It can be very hard for us to picture what it would be like to be a, a, to be a blind beggar or the treatment they get. Uh, Myself and my two American friends there, we've lived in China for a while, and we've seen blind beggars, and we've seen how they're treated, and they're not honored. In fact, like I was saying last week about the paralytic, people think it's unlucky to even go near them. And so this guy, he lives his life in darkness. He's totally vulnerable. Probably his only belongings are that cloak that he has. Maybe he's got some kind of a, a mafia-type person that puts him out every day. Maybe his family sits him out every day. Every day he probably sits in the same spot, getting sunburnt, dust. All he can do is listen, begging. And not only is he blind, he's also poor. So he's got a double whammy uh, of misfortune on his life. But he hears that it's Jesus coming past, Jesus of Nazareth. And you think, how on earth did he know who Jesus was? Well, for sure there would have been a lot of stories circulating around by about Jesus by that time. And Jericho was a very important city. So there would have been some rumors going around. And I can just imagine uh, poor old Bart begging people, tell me, tell me another story about Jesus. Tell me what else you heard. What else did you hear? He probably heard that people had been healed. But here's a remarkable thing. Not just that he called out, but he calls Jesus son of David. Now, this is the first time in Mark's gospel that this kind of language is used. Jesus is coming to the end of his earthly ministry and nobody has recognized who Jesus is in the same way that blind Bart has. 
So here's a blind guy amongst throngs of seeing people, but he has the best spiritual eyesight of anyone there. And he starts yelling out. So not only is it annoying that he's yelling because he's a beggar, but he's saying very controversial things. Son of David, what that means is not that Jesus' father was called David. God's name is not David. <laughs> it's referring to a prophecy in the Old Testament. Prophecies that say things like, a king will reign on the throne of David forever. And prophecies that talk about the coming king, the Messiah, the Savior, coming through the line, the family tree of King David. So when he's saying, son of David, he's saying, you are that one we've been waiting for. You are the son of God. He's actually calling out blasphemy in the eyes of a lot of the Jews. So you can imagine the upset. Here's this despised blind beggar yelling blasphemies <laughs> into the crowd. And when, I've been in, in, uh, when I lived in China and officials would come through, they'd close down the whole street and all these motor cars would come through and this big official would, would drive through town. And I think the attitude about Jesus would have been similar. Jesus is super important. Nobody's going to... Uh, he's not going to want to bother with the people on the side of the road. He's got, he's got a mission. He's talking to important people. That's his thing. They didn't know who Jesus was, and they didn't know why he came, and they didn't even know what he was like. So they say, be quiet. And in our lives, we always have two voices, don't we? One encourages us to come, and the other says, be quiet. Which voice do we listen to more? So... He's yelling out, he's saying, Messiah, chosen one, have mercy on me. He gets it all right. He knows who Jesus is. He knows that Jesus would be bothered with him. And he knows what his need is. You notice he doesn't yell out, heal my, my eyesight. He says, have mercy on me. He knows he doesn't even deserve it. He, he yells out the one thing we all need to yell out, Jesus, have mercy on me. So like a tide of... Like, like a fish going against the, the, the school of fish. They're all yelling at him. And they say, be quiet. And he gives up. And there he lays forever. No, he yells even louder. I mean, I can't imagine the bravery of this guy because he's blind. Someone could have kicked him in the teeth. He wouldn't even know which direction it's coming from. He's probably yelling in the wrong direction of Jesus because he doesn't even know where Jesus is, maybe. He's just, he's got nothing to lose. But he realizes something we all need to realize is sometimes we're on our last chance with God. The Bible says that God won't put up with people forever. There is a time when your time has run out. And Bartimaeus knows it's his last chance, so he takes it. And then this is such an amazing picture because you've got this despised blind beggar. He makes the creator of the universe stop. You can imagine the crowd. They're, they're waltzing along. Yeah, yeah, we're going to Jerusalem. He's going to become king. This is it. What, what, what's he stopped for? What's going on? What's going on? He stops for the blind beggar. And the crowd is so fickle. They start off with, be quiet, be quiet. And then, through the most reluctant missionaries you've ever heard, Bartimaeus is called to come to Jesus. Oh, be quiet. Oh, oh quick, come. The, the, the teacher's calling you. Fickle. So they call Bartimaeus. And his response is amazing as well. 
Bartimaeus is a, is a picture of us spiritually, just like the paralytic was last week. He's blind. He's poor. He's helpless. And that's what we're like until Jesus opens our eyes. Until Jesus opens our eyes, we can't even see that we're blind. And you see that in society today. There's many people that think they're very smart and know lots of things. But if they don't know Jesus, they don't know the main thing. They don't know what they need to know. They're blind. The Bible says the wisdom of men is foolishness to God. So don't worry about all these things that want to drag you away from Jesus. The theory of evolution or fear of being shamed or all these things. They're just lies. We have what we need to know when we know Jesus. So they say, come. He throws off his coat. He leaps up and he comes to Jesus. There's no hesitation. And I imagine that coat was the only thing he owned. He didn't care. I'm about to get the greatest blessing of my life. I'm leaving it all behind. Do you, feel like, do you think like that? When Jesus asks you to come, are you willing to give it all up? Because it's not what you leave behind, it's what you gain in the Christian life. Because, like the Apostle Paul says, the suffering we go through is not even worth comparing to what's coming. You might think you've given something up for God, but it's not even worth comparing. Because no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love Him. So he, he throws off his coat. And some of us need to throw off some coats in our life. Some of us need to throw off some bad habits, some bad attitudes, some lifestyle choices. Maybe we need to recenter our entire life, our, work, our choice of work, where we live, so that we can follow Jesus. And he jumps up and he comes to Jesus. And then another astounding thing happens. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Can you imagine that? And he said, I want a million dollars. I bet some people thought he was going to say that. No. He's straight to the point, And he says, my rabbi, my teacher, I want to see again. It's really interesting. In the first case, Jesus is saying, you are my savior. He's saying, son of David, you are the savior. And then he says, my rabbi, my master. So you heard the, the saying, make Jesus the Lord and savior of your life. Well, Bartimaeus has done both, right, in that little story. He said, you are my savior. You are my Lord. In, it, that's almost all he says in, in all his words. And then Jesus says, go. Your faith has healed you. This is really interesting because in the Greek, the word for healed is the same word for saved. So you have a great picture of the gospel in this tiny story that it is through faith in Jesus that we're saved. So you could also say, go. Your faith has saved you. And some translations say that. So now that he can see, his whole life changes. He doesn't go back to begging. He doesn't go and try to find some job and start a family. He's intent on one thing, following Jesus. Straight away. Can you imagine? All his contacts, his family, whoever he knew, I'm going, I'm following Jesus. That's all I'm doing. And Jesus is going to the cross. Now, we don't know the rest of Bartimaeus' story, but like I said, because he is named, it's very probable that he became someone of note in the early church. He probably started some churches somewhere. Who knows? But his 
journey is one of continual progress. And what I want to uh, challenge you with today is two points. Don't give up and don't limit God. By don't limit God, I mean do whatever and go wherever God tells you. Because we're, in this room, we're all on a different part of the journey you can track through Bartimaeus' life. Some of us are not saved yet. We can't see yet. We're still on the road begging, trying to figure out what's going on. We're just begging for something to fill the hole in our heart, begging for something to satisfy us, to give us meaning. Some of us have been saved, but we haven't yet started following Jesus. We haven't taken our cloak off. We haven't said, I'm going to go wherever you go, Jesus. Some of us have been saved and gone back to begging. We've looked at other things to satisfy us, the crumbs of this world, instead of the food that Jesus gives. And what I really want to challenge you is, don't give in to those subtle pulls to say, give up your faith, or stop going to church, or just don't talk about Jesus too much, or just, you know, you can say you're a Christian, but end it there. Don't do anything too radical. I mean, look at our master, the one we're meant to be copying. Was Jesus not radical? <laughs> we're not going to be messiahs. We're not the son of God. But boy, we've got a radical teacher. And we're meant to model ourselves on Jesus. There's lots of things in this story we can learn about what Jesus was like. He didn't look down on people. He didn't look up to people. He treated everyone the same. He had incredible mercy. He allowed himself to be interrupted. But I really want to look at Blind Bart in this story to make you question, where are you at in, on this journey? Maybe you haven't given up in some kind of epic fashion where you've had a big moral failure and you've left the church and, and you've uh, become... Uh, a drug addict in King's Cross in Sydney or something like that. But maybe you've given up on the inside. It looks like everything's okay. You're still going to church. You still look like an outstanding citizen in, in society. But you know deep down you're selling God short. You know deep down, it, and it's even a cry of your heart, you want to live like this, but you've given up because it's just too hard because you don't trust God enough. Because you think, but if I go this far with God, what if he doesn't provide for me? What if he makes me lose face? What about my children? What about my job? Because when a good thing stands in front of your, uh, comes before your relationship with God, that good thing becomes an idol. Idols are often beautiful things, even man-made golden Buddhas and stuff. They're often, they look beautiful. And a lot of the idols in the Western world also are beautiful things. Your family can become an idol. Your marriage can become an idol. Your work can become an idol. Providing a stable environment for your family can become an idol. They're all really good, God-given things. They're good things. But if they come before following Jesus, they can become an idol. And you'll know in this room which one of you are, as I say these words, where that's the case for you. You'll know where God is calling you to something else, but you've said no because you don't trust him enough. And you can feel it. You're, just, you're on the fence. You're on the edge. 
you're like, well, if I just do this much, maybe I'll still be okay. I know God's calling me to more, but I'm terrified. And, and what will my family think? And, and what will I think? Blind Bartimaeus was known as a blind beggar probably all his life. But he didn't let that label stop him. He didn't say, well, I'm a beggar by profession, so I'll just keep doing that. And a lot of us today have put labels on ourselves or got labels from our family and friends or our workplaces that have limited us and limited what we think God can do in our lives. We've said, well, I'm just a teacher, so I don't do such and such. Well, I'm just a mum. I can't do such and such. But I'm old. I can't do such and such. But I've got a disability. I can't do such and such. But God uses the weak things of this world to confound the wise. God uses us in our weakness. And some of us, we feel the prod. We know that God is pulling us out into something different, but we're terrified. And I want to say today, take that step of faith. You give God an inch, he'll take you a mile. Don't be afraid. God will look after you. God knows the beginning from the end. And besides, your life is not your own. You've been bought at a price. You don't own yourself. You don't get to choose what you do with yourself. God owns you now. You've been bought with the blood of Jesus. You've been saved. You owe everything to God. So I told you before, don't give up. Why not give up? I'll give you a few reasons. It says that Jesus went to the cross because of the glories set before him, i.e., he was willing to suffer the cross because something so much better was coming. Paul says, I consider everything rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. So everything or your dreams are actually like rubbish compared to the dreams that God has for you, the things God has for you to do. I often think of the story of the disciples where Jesus gave a hard teaching and a bunch of people left. And Jesus said, are you going to leave me too? And he says, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. You might go somewhere else, but it's not going to work. Even if following Jesus is hard, he's the only option we have. He's the only one with the words of eternal life. You might think, oh, I'll give up on this Christianity thing and I'll just see what happens after I die. Big, big, uh, big no-no. Jesus is the only one who's died and come back. He's the only one that knows what's on the other side. So reading some book from some guru or some latest kind of uh, theory on the afterlife, well, they don't know what they're talking about because they haven't been there, but Jesus does. And Jesus calls us to take refuge in him from the coming wrath of God. That's God's plan. So there's no use committing suicide. There's no use trying to follow something else. There's no better option. The best option is to follow Jesus. And I want to read to you something from um, Corinthians just to kind of try to um, blow, blow up the box that you've put around your life a bit. Um, it's from 1 Corinthians 12, 27, 29. It's, the context is Paul talking about stop fighting over who has the best spiritual gifts. The main thing is love anyway. But I want to read it because um, I want to try to get you guys to look a bit higher, think a bit bigger about what God could do through you. So now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, etc. goes through. He's kind of list listing 
Some of the different gifts people have in the church, because they're all fighting over, look, my gift's, better, my gift's better than yours, I know you're awesome. And Paul's like, what are you guys doing? These gifts won't even be in heaven. The main thing is to love each other. But I just want to bring some of these up and explain them to you. First of all, apostles. What's an apostle? Apostle is a sent one, someone who is sent. And often they start churches where there are no churches. They start something new. Maybe you're a mum. Maybe you think you're too old. But maybe God wants you to go somewhere and start a new church. Maybe God wants you to start a new church in heaven's head. Because a new church grows faster than an old church. And I believe God wants us to keep starting new churches. Maybe someone from this church is going to be sent to, I don't know, Pakistan, to Bangladesh, one of the most unreached countries on earth. You might think, well, surely not, that's not possible. And, and what about my family? Well, there are kids and families in those countries too. <laughs> you won't die when you get off the plane. I know from experience. <laughs> because when we read the, the news and see on the media, we think, oh my goodness, those countries, everyone's dying and everyone's getting blown up. But it's not really like that. Actually, most people are just living their life. And it's like when people come to Australia, they think every time someone puts their foot in the ocean, they get bitten by a shark. Because that's the perception they have. And God wants to say, trust me. The second one is prophet. Now, prophet has a few meanings. It can mean someone that can tell the future, God shows them things, but it also just means someone who speaks the words of God. Someone who proclaims God's word. They're like a channel. God gets them to say stuff to people. And some of you, God is calling you to do that in a greater way. But you're like, nah, that's not me. I always thought I couldn't preach. I still don't think I'm very good. But, but, but I resisted for years whenever anyone asked me to preach because I said, but I'm not a preacher. I put this label on myself. How meaningless. Let God tell you what you can do. He's the one that gave you your mouth, your eyesight, your abilities. Like when Moses was complaining to God, but I can't speak when God sent him to the Egyptians. And God said, who gave you your mouth? So don't tell God what you can or can't do. You don't even know. God knows more about you than you know about yourself. Third, teachers. Maybe you think, but I'm really dumb. I didn't finish school. But God gives the spiritual insight. It's a God-given gift. Maybe God wants some of you to be teachers. And particularly in this time in the church with Paul and Karina now gone, maybe some of you are meant to step up. But I want you to think bigger than that even, not just for this church, but for the kingdom. Not just for Evan's head, for the world. Think about some of the more unreached parts of the world. North Korea, Saudi Arabia, Somalia. Dangerous places, but extremely unreached. And you know what? If someone about 300 years after the birth of Christ hadn't left their hometown, their family, their stable job, and gone to a whole nother culture, you wouldn't be a Christian today. Most of us here have Anglo-Celtic background. The gospel came to us about 300 AD, came into the British Isles, some even earlier. Have you ever thought of that? If someone didn't leave their comfortable life to reach a whole other ethnic group, you today would probably not know Jesus. How can you thank those people 1,700 years ago? Do the same yourself. In China, when people would say, thank you so much for bringing me the gospel, I would say, thank me by telling that other people group next door to you the gospel. They haven't heard. You hate them, but you should still go and tell them. 
See, in this, in this story, the people rebuked Jesus, but Jesus called them. They didn't think about that person's well-being. They didn't really want that person to be saved. Some of you know people in your life, you don't really want them to be saved. You'd rather rebuke them. You're disgusted by them. But Jesus is saying, come here. So change from your rebuke and tell the person, come to Jesus. You don't have to be a perfect person to be a missionary or to be an evangelist. You just have to have a mouth and talk. Because it's the gospel that saves, not the person. I've seen people saved when I had the worst attitude on earth. I didn't want to do it. Think, think of the story of Job, uh, not Job, uh, Jonah. You think he had compassion for the Ninevites? He hated them. He hoped that they would all perish. But God saved the whole place through him. Don't wait till you're a better Christian before you obey God's call in your life. And don't take for granted the opportunities God has given you. I often wonder, why has God blessed me so much? Why did I come from such a rich country? Do you know Australia is now has the highest medium wage in the world? We've just overtaken Austria. We are the richest country in the world. Why? Maybe he wants to send some of you. And then there are other gifts, gifts of miracles. Oh, healing, I couldn't heal someone. Well, have you ever prayed for somebody? How do you know? Lots of people have been shocked when they pray for someone and they get healed. Like, I didn't know God would do that through me. But you have to try. Helping, guidance, different types of tongues. It goes on and on. And it says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And that means desire the gifts that build up the church. It was talking in the context of, of uh, things like tongues, where someone would speak in tongues and no one can understand what they're saying without an interpreter. So it's Paul saying, I would rather you speak intelligible words and build up the church. And so, eagerly desire the gifts that build up the church. Eagerly desire the gifts that start new churches, that speak God's word to people, that teach people. They're the main things. And I know there are some in this room that, that as I'm speaking this, there's this feeling, ah, you know that God has put it on your heart, especially some of you men. You know that you've been living under a version of yourself that you've defined, but God has a different definition. And the story of Blind Bart shows us we can go from a blind beggar to a useful servant of God. Let's pray together right now. And if you know in your heart that you've been resisting the call of God to something different, I want you to confess it to God and say, okay, God, I surrender. Do whatever you want. I'm ready. I'll go wherever you go. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And I won't give up. Let's pray together. Dear God, I pray this morning that if there's any of us here who are feeling that tug, that know that you have different things for us, that you have greater things for us, give us the strength to surrender all and follow you into what you have for us. Help us to be like blind Bartimaeus, who started out as a blind beggar, but ended up following you wherever you wanted him to go and doing whatever you wanted him to do. Please have mercy on us, like, like Bartimaeus said, and let us become sons of honor, let us become people who serve you, who don't limit you. We surrender our lives, Lord, and we say, do whatever you want with us. In Jesus' name, amen.